This is not an emergency. But the mother of Ryan Kenyon is needed in the nursery, please. I think you walked off with his cookies or something like that. I don't know. Well, gang, guys, it's good to see you again. How's your week been? I'm not going to preach what's in your bulletin. <laughs> One of those weeks. Don't know what's, uh, what God's trying to do here, but we're just trying to cooperate. Um, everybody just keeps sensing different things. And we're not, you know, we're not given to emotionalism here, but hopefully we are given to spiritual sensitivity. Sensitivity, excuse me. Um, <clears throat> if you would turn to the book of Daniel, I'm going to preach uh, something I've never done before, an entire chapter, the fourth chapter of the book of Daniel. I had this great message. I thought it was great, good illustrations and everything. And in the last couple of days, God has just drawn me to this chapter of Daniel, not for preaching purposes, just to draw me there. And then it, there was such a strong... Um, attraction uh, that I began in my prayer life to believe that somebody in here needed to hear this. Um, if you're the person, God really wants to get this message across to you. So listen up, and the rest of us will listen. No. Actually, this is probably more for me. I have told you before that I don't preach to you. I preach to myself, and if you want to overhear it, you're welcome to. Um, that goes for this message also, but but there is something that God wants to happen um, this morning. And so I'm trying not to get in his way. I'm trying just to go ahead with it. This is a story about uh, a dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon, the great king that built up the city of Babylon. Some of you are very familiar with it. Let me just begin to read it to you, telling you the story and then interrupt it uh, uh, at different places where I think that uh, points can be made. This is Nebuchadnezzar speaking in the fourth verse. I, Nebuchadnezzar, what? Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. Didn't I say that? Uh, I, not enough, did I? All oh, this is going to get... That's all right. That's, hey, I know. That's okay. I'm glad you said that. Daniel chapter 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. Hmm? It's going pretty good, isn't it? But I saw a dream, and it made me fearful. And these fantasies, as I lay on my bed, and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. So I gave orders to bring into my presence all the wise men of Babylon that they might make known to me the dream or the interpretation of the dream. And then the magicians and the conjurers and the Chaldeans and the diviners came in. And I related the dream to them, but they could not make its interpretation known to me. Now, let me just stop right there for a second. Chapter 2, this very same thing happened. He has this dream. And he brings on all these same people in. They can't, they can't crack the nut. They can't, they can't perform what, they, what he needs. And so he brings Daniel in. And Daniel interprets the dream to him. Well, same thing is happening now. Daniel's still in the court. 
The question I have is, why does he go back to the same people who couldn't do it before? Let me ask you the question. Why is it that in our lives we seek that which people can't deliver to us? They are not bad people. They're just experienced failures in delivering this certain product to us. Why do we keep going back to them? Why do you keep going back to the same people? Well, you say it's out of loyalty. You know, I've got to stick with the team. Could I say to you, and you need to hear this. Somebody needs to hear this this morning. It is not loyalty to ask someone who is close to you to deliver something they can't deliver to you simply because they're close to you. Let me say that again. It is not loyalty to ask something of those who are close to you to give you something that they can't give you just because they're close to you. You need to go on to someone who can deliver what you need. It's no reflection on them. It's a reflection on us that we keep going back to the same people and making them fail again. They can't do it. They can't do it. Get on with another answer, would you please? Okay. Um, But Daniel came in before me, whose name is Belshazzar, according to the name of my God, and in whom is a spirit of the holy gods, and I related the dream to him. Now, let me tell you what's going on here. Daniel has a court name, whose name is Belshazzar. The chief god of Babylonia is Marduk. And in the language, his name is Bel. There is a, a temple of Bel, B-E-L. And so the first three letters of Daniel's new name is Belshazzar to reflect the mightiest of gods. However, Nebuchadnezzar sees in him there, there is some spirit that has not been there before. And he doesn't know how to describe it. He's a pagan. He doesn't know how to describe it. He doesn't know what it is. The closest he can come is a spirit of the holy gods. Now, that can be translated out of the Hebrew, the spirit of the almighty God. But that's as close as he can come to it. All right? O Belshazzar, he says, chief of the magicians. See, he doesn't know how to describe him as a man of God. He says, well, you're the best magician I got. Chief of the magicians, since I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you and no mystery baffles you, tell me the visions of my dream which I have seen along with its interpretation. Now, these were the visions in my mind as I lay in my bed, and I was looking, and behold, there was a tree in the midst of the earth. Now, let me stop right there again. He begins to tell him the dream. Now, the dream is centered upon a tree in the middle of the earth. Now, we need to watch out whenever there is a tree in the middle of anything. Remember the last tree in the middle of something? It was in Genesis 3.3, the tree in the middle of the garden. Remember that one? And, and it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Something in the middle of the earth that is not God always symbolizes what we think is an alternative to God. So anytime you can look in your life and you can see something in its center besides God, that is what you see that seems to be an alternative to God. And you can look at any given time. What is in the center of my life? What do I look at 
to fulfill my needs. And if it's not God, then you've got a tree growing there. Now, there's a lot of different kinds of trees. This tree turns out to be himself. And there are a lot of people who turn to themselves as the ultimate decision maker, the ultimate need answer. I'll tell you what, if I need anything, I'll just go to myself. I'll go to myself. We grew up like that, that we were the center of the universe. Our world, our civilization, for the longest time, believed that everything revolved around us. People are like that. You get a three- or four-year-old kid, they can't imagine why anybody would want to pay any attention to anything besides them. It never, it never occurs to them that there is anything of greater importance in the world than they. And from there, we grow up or not. So there are some people who say, I still am at the center of my world. And everything that happens around me is either my accomplishment or my fault. And they are solidly in the center of their world. But there are others who look to maybe a loved one to be the center of their world, or maybe an objective, a goal to be the center of their world, or, to, or maybe a fantasy to be the... I don't know. But anytime you look in the middle of your life and you start to say, what can answer my frustrations? And it's not God? Watch out. Let me tell you what's going to happen. Because it happened right here. And it's true. The tree grew large and became strong. And its height reached to the sky. And it was visible to the end of the whole earth. And its foliage was beautiful and its fruit abundant. And in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the sky dwelt in its branches. And all the living creatures fed themselves from it. That sounds like a pretty good deal, doesn't it? I was looking in the vision in my mind as I lay on my bed, and behold, an angelic watcher, a holy one, descended from heaven, and he shouted out and spoke as follows. Chop down the tree. And cut off its branches, strip off its foliage, and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it, and the birds from its branches. Yet, leave the stump. With its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it, in the new field of grass. And let him now note the difference in the personification of the reference. All of a sudden, it's not an it, it's a him. And let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. And let him share with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. Now, let me pause just for a technical thing. You know, in Scripture, there are two different kinds of time. There is chronos and there is kairos. Chronos, from which we get the word chronology, is a simple division of segments of time. A second, a minute, a week, a month, and so on and so forth. Simple, neutral division of time. Kairos, however, is a fullness or a ripeness of time. When you say someone is nine months pregnant, you are not just talking about segments of time. You're talking about a readiness for something, a ripeness, or seven months or six months or whatever. You're talking about kairos there. 
Now, seven periods in Scripture means there is a there's a there's a there's a time uh, fullness here. There's a ripeness. There's something going on besides just segmenting time. Seven is the perfect number, so it means when the time is ripe. Okay, let me go on. Let seven periods of time pass over him. This sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers. And the decision is a command of the holy ones, in order that the living may know that the most high ruler over the realm of mankind... I'm sorry, in order that the Most High is the ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom he wishes and sets it over the lowliest of men. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar says, so this is a dream I had, Daniel. What's up? Tell me what you think. Immediately, Daniel, you can see in verse 19, starts trembling. The Bible says he's alarmed. Now, Belshazzar, I'm sorry, Nebuchadnezzar reads his face and says... Hey, it's okay. I want to know the truth, no matter what it is. Now that is admirable, isn't it? When somebody says, look, I know this is going to hurt me, but you need to say it to me because I need to know it. There's a lot of things that I can overcome, but what I can't overcome is the truth. I need to know it. So Daniel looks at him and he says, look, king, I wish this applied to your enemies. But it doesn't. And in verse 21, he says, you are the tree. And he goes on to make the prediction. In verse 24, O king, this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord, the king, that you be driven away from mankind, that your dwelling place be with the beasts of the field, and you be given grass to eat like cattle, and be drenched with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time will pass over you until... Now, this is the object of the thing. There's always a purpose. Always a purpose. Until you recognize that the Most High is the ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. Now, let me stop right there again. Wouldn't you think... That all of this, just to get to the end of the Lord's Prayer, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. I mean, that's a simple thing, isn't it? Don't all of us kind of think we believe in that anyhow? I mean, is this, am I God? No. Uh, Is he God? Yeah. His is the kingdom, right? He's in control. His is the power. He can do whatever he wants, right? I mean, can't, hasn't God got that privilege? Does he have to obey our wishes? Does he have to do what we think is fair? No. He's God. We're not. But as much as this man believed that he believed in God, he didn't attribute to him, really released to him the power over his life. And so he says, I tell you what, if you don't do that, you are going to be an animal. Literally, you're going to be an animal. Now, wouldn't you think that somebody... Speaking to a prophet of God, somebody would say, "Mm, well, I don't have to go through all that. Why don't I just believe it now? Why don't I just commit my life to him now? You would think that, wouldn't you? Look at the next thing. He even gives him a way. He even gives him a way 
to begin to make reparations, knowing that God is the Lord. He says in verse uh, 27, Therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. Break away now from your sins. Very simple. Break away right now from your sins. By doing righteousness from your iniquities and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging for your prosperity. Now let me tell you what's going on here. There have been a decree issued from heaven. Now one of the things we say is, look, if there's a decree issued from heaven, why even try? But yet... Daniel is seeming to offer him a way out. If you'll simply put it away, if you will admit that you are not God, if you will admit that you can't handle everything, and you let God be God, then your prosperity might be prolonged. It's a chance. Would you take it? Why aren't you? You understand what he's doing? God is so sure of the character of Nebuchadnezzar, he's already decreed it. You know people well enough to predict what they're going to do. They have free will the whole time. And you know them well enough to say, I'll tell you what, she, what response she's going to have to that. And every time, it's right. You can decree ahead of time. You, a human, can decree ahead of time many times how somebody's going to react because they know you. Or you know them, right? Now here's a guy who has been confronted with his sin, says if you don't take care of this, you're going to turn into an animal. Gives him a way out of it, he won't do it. He won't do it. Let me tell you something. Retaining a pattern of sin in your life. Now, everybody falls, but retaining a pattern of sin in your life is like wearing around a lightning rod for God's wrath. I want to tell you that very plainly this morning. Somebody needs to hear that. If we refuse to admit a pattern in our lives if we refuse to get help. Sooner or later, it's going to take us under. Sooner or later, we will turn into the animals that we could become. Let me tell you about poor old Jimmy Swigert. Most of you have uh, read about him in the paper again. Got picked up with another prostitute. Why? Because he was a bad man no. I think Jimmy sincerely, sincerely wants to follow God. I think Jimmy started out and has all his life wanted to follow God. But he has an Achilles heel. And that is this. He would not admit and submit to authorities that he had a long-term problem. Even after he was nailed with it, he said, no, I'm getting with God. Forget this bunch of people over me who tells me to lay out of my ministry for a long time. I'm going to get with God, and God and I will decide what's right. And so therefore, a couple days ago, picked up another prostitute, pornography in the car, all that kind of stuff. I'm not getting on Jimmy Swagger. Look, all of us have different problems. Some of them that are different from pornography, but all of us have problems. The thing is this, when we retain a pattern of sin, we might as well wear around a lightning rod. That's going to happen. Would you listen to me this morning? If you've got a problem, 
It is not a shame. It's a challenge. But the only way you can deal with this is to say, I've got a problem. I've got to address this. Because if I don't, it's going to take me down. The most loving thing in the world that God can do for you is to say, you've got a problem. And the most loving response you can have to him is say, I know, I've got a problem. I've got to lay it down. I've got to change. Because I don't want to turn into an animal. Well, it didn't work for Nebuchadnezzar. Look at what Scripture says. Scripture says, all this happened to Nebuchadnezzar 12 months later. This is a year later. He was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. Let me stop right there again. Watch out for the roof walks. You know what I'm saying? David was walking on the roof, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. When he saw... Who was it? Bathsheba. Taking a bath. Sheba. He was, he was looking over his kingdom, wasn't he? Looking over his kingdom. Because he's walking on the roof. Now, that's where the kings walked those days. They got on the path, walked around the roof. So that they could say, all this I have done. All of this I have accumulated. All of this I have built. Let me give you the same advice your mother gave you. Get off the roof or you're going to fall off. <laughs> she was right. Get off the roof or you're going to fall. There is no way that you can have the pride that comes with looking over your life saying, look at all I have built. And it was a wonderful scene. I mean, when he got up there, he could see this city that was incredible. Perfectly square. Had walls 350 feet high, 87 feet thick. It was impregnable. He saw the temple of Bel that had the hanging gardens of Babylon, the terraces, 4,000 square feet that went in succession up to 350 feet. It was incredible. But he never saw it as something that was given to him. He always saw it as something that he had done. And he reasoned. The Bible says he reflected. He reasoned. Literally, in the Hebrew, it's answered. There is some doubt in his mind about, there is still a nagging doubt about what Daniel has said to him. And he is still, one year later, answering Daniel. You ever have that? Somebody just sticks something in your mind, and for years, you are still answering them. Oh, yeah? Well, I wish I'd have thought of this, you know? Wish I'd have brought Daniel up here and let him see all this. Man, God gave me this. God's the ruler. Did God see to it that the bricks would be laid for crying out loud? Who did this? He answered, all this I have done. Then you know what happened? The Bible says, immediately, he heard a voice out of heaven. Holy cow. When, listen, you remember when you were little? And your, and your mother said, this is the last call. The next voice, you're going to be in trouble. And you ignored her, and then she called your name. And there was this feeling, oh, no, I was hoping she didn't mean it. 
That had to be him. The voice came out of, out of heaven and addressed him as king. I love the irony in this. King Nebuchadnezzar, your time is up. And the Bible says that he was turned into a beast because all of his kingdom would not recognize God. It was about power. It was about power. It wasn't about what was built or what wasn't built. It was about power. It was about giving control over to God or not giving control over to God. It was about power. You know, there's a lot of things that you can answer that are partially true. But the issues aren't usually to find the truth. The issues are usually who retains the power. What's going on in our nation's capital right now? I wish the issue was to find the truth. But the issue isn't. It's all about power. It's all about power. Oh, there's tangential truth. Wouldn't you love to know who was right and who was wrong? And most of us would say, you know, I'll, you know, 60-40, I'm kind of betting this side or I'm kind of betting that side. I wish the issue were about how to treat each other right. I wish that were the issue. But the issue isn't. It's about power. And so therefore, when the issue is about power, the issue is always whether or not to become more than what you were made to be. And I read something a long time ago that has always stuck with me. He who would become more than a man shall become punished by becoming less than a man. Applies for women. He, she who would be more than a woman will eventually become less than a woman. Because it is so important to be able to admit we're just people. We're just people. We are just dust. You've got two chances, two choices. You can either elect to be dust or you can be sanctified dust. But you're still dust. It doesn't, look, it doesn't mean you're worthless. If you were worthless, Jesus Christ never would have died for you. You do have worth in God's eyes. But all of this building up the self-esteem and all this kind of stuff, and I'm, I'm neat no matter what, well, you're neat dust. You're neat dust. Look, God came down and said, uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, you did just exactly what I expected you to do. It's time to serve your sentence. And he went out into the fields and acted like an animal. Now, there is a category of dementia called zoanthropy, and it means for a man to believe he's an animal. For those of you who love trivia, from, the, from those old Wolfman movies, there's lycanthropy, L-Y-K-O-S, lycos, means wolf, anthropos means man. Uh, there's Wolfman. That's where we get the movies. It wasn't out of somebody's imagination. There are literally people who have thought that they were wolves and ran around howling and attacking people and so on and so forth. Well, he didn't think he was a wolf. He thought he was a cow. And he goes out. And he goes in the field, literally goes in the field. Now, I don't know that any of you have, have, have seen, maybe some of you have, someone who has not kept themselves for months and months. What their appearance is like, I can tell you it's just like in here. The, the hair grows matted and shiny, and it becomes very much like feathers. And the nails grow out and usually turn a dark uh, yellow, and they curve under very much like claws. 
And so the description here is not something, a supernatural curse. It's just what happens when people believe they're animals. And the Bible says that they replaced his mind with the mind of a beast. Now, that's nothing new. And it's nothing old. It is as contemporary as Romans 1, where, where God said, look, they worshipped animalism. They worshipped what they thought would give them freedom, but really turned them into animals. And so I gave them over to their lusts. And I let them become the animals that they worshipped. It says that right in Romans 1. Okay, I'm getting off track here, and I'm taking a real long time, and I don't mean to, but I keep rambling, and so I'm hoping God's working here. What happens afterwards? What happens is this. He was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with the dew. And his hair had grown like eagle's feathers, and his nails like bird's claws. But, I love that word, but at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, he came back to himself. Now he's telling the story again. Raised my eyes toward heaven, and my reason returned to me. Notice the order. I raised my eyes toward heaven, and my reason returned to me. Our reason comes from God. Our right mind comes from God. God doesn't come from our right mind. And the Bible says, And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. Dust. Plain dust or sanctified dust? Dust. But he does according to his will in the host of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can ward off his hand or say to him, What hast thou done? At that time, my reason returned to me. And it tells how he got his, his kingdom back. And then look at, his, look at his doxology at the end here. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of heaven. For all his works are true, and his ways are just. And he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Let me say just a few more things to you. And then I want to call us to prayer. I want you to examine your heart this morning. First of all, let me say that I don't think we're too far from where Nebuchadnezzar was. Any kind of accomplishment tempts us to walk around on the roof and say, look what I've done. And see it not as a gift from God. And see it not as something to be stewards. You know, the most curious thing I find in this nation, from being a history major and from having an interest in government, for me, I was a double, a dual uh, history and government major. One of the most curious things I find is that there are more statements from deists in the early part of our history about the sovereignty of God than there are from evangelical Christians today. There are more, there's more of an awareness from people like Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson and, and uh, George Washington about God's control of the universe than there are out of the evangelical Christians we have in Washington today. Why is that? Why is it that the more specific we get about Christ, the more focused we become on accomplishment and on conversion rather than realizing God's still in control. Why is that? 
It's because we have become enamored with second-hand or secondary things. We really think that the most important thing is what we can accomplish in this world or what we can build in this world or what we can have in this world or who we can know in this world. That all passes away. Only what God builds stays. But we are enamored with secondary things. C.S. Lewis said this, When you put second things first, you never get second things. Let me say that again. When you put second things first, you never get second things. Second things never come by putting them first. Only by putting first things first do you get second things. It is very important this morning, before you leave here, that if you've got another tree planted in the middle of your life, you uproot that tree. And you let God be there. Now, there are some I know that are struggling with a pattern of sin, or I wouldn't be preaching this. And some need to repent this morning, that is, to turn away. Some of us have mistreated others, and we know we have. And the, the message is very specific about how to uh, turn from our sins and treat others as we should have treated them in the first place. But this is the point. First, you have to recognize that God's in control. Are you worried who's going to get on the Supreme Court? Don't be. Please don't be. Are you worried about what you're going to be ten years from now? Don't be. Please don't be. Are you worried if God is going to supply your needs? Don't worry. Please don't worry. But are you concerned when you look in the middle of your life and God's not there? Get concerned right now. Get concerned and put him there. It's within your power. It's within your direction. Now, I told you this was coming. I know. I feel bad about this sermon. This is so scattered and everything. But, but I really feel like this is what you need to hear for a purpose. So therefore, we're going to forge ahead here. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. And we're going to have a time of prayer. And you can come forward and pray at the altar if you like. Because sometimes just your body getting up out of the chair and coming down is signaling yourself it is going to be different from now on. And that's a very valuable thing. Um, so, Beverly, I'm going to ask you to come on up and just play for a few minutes, if you would. Um, and Vernon, could you pray with people over here? If somebody wants to pray with you, um, who's over here that can pray with somebody? Dennis? Tom, you're there. Dennis, both of you guys come up. And Marcia, if somebody wants to pray with a, a woman, uh, would you come up also? Um, these folks can help you in three areas. Number one, if you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ to know God personally, they can help you do that. Some of you may not know how to do that, but you want to. They can help you do that. Secondly, there may be something in your life specific that you need to tell another Christian. They can help you with that. Who's beeping? <laughs> Cut it out. They can help you do that. They can listen. And they can be supportive. And they can give you godly counsel. Thirdly, there may be some of you who say, I don't know why I'm up here. I just felt like I needed to pray with somebody. They may be able to get a word about why you're up there. So let's just have some moments of prayer. And let's 
go to God unabashedly, and whatever the Holy Spirit told you during this message, you need to respond to it right now. Okay? You pray or play.